Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. I'm, I'm thankful, honestly, that I get to be here. Uh, my wife is so pregnant right now. I, at any moment, I'm just like, God, let me finish the sermon, please, so I don't have to like rush out of here. So, um, Pastor Steve, you're on deck. Uh, my notes are right here, and so he'll preach it if I gotta go. Uh, but well, I'm excited. I really am for baby number two coming. It's crazy. I'm gonna be a dad of two boys. It really is a crazy thing. And by the time that uh, baby two comes along, uh, Zealand's going to be something like, I don't know, two years, almost two months old, something like that. Like six weeks ago, he had his birthday, uh, his second birthday, and we um, took him to Sea Life, the aquarium at, was it Great Lakes Crossing, I believe? Any of y'all been to Sea Life? Uh, okay, so I don't think I had ever been there before. I wish I could have gone at his age because I think I would have been more impressed, to be honest. Uh, but we knew that he would like the fishies. We always, uh, Zealand, what did the fishies do? And he goes, like this, and he, he, can't, he can't do it, but he's getting close. And uh, him and Mana, basically, uh, they, they rolled around that place. They strolled through like they owned the place, and they touched every piece of glass you possibly could and put fingerprints on it. And uh, it was good, but we, uh, you know, we're checking out all of these different fish and everything. And to be honest, so I was trying to do some research to make sure I understand this correctly here. Fish are considered vertebrates, if I, if I got that correct, if I said that right. But my favorite uh, animal there was not uh, a vertebrate, but an invertebrate. There was something about, and me, and me and Janelle were talking about this because we're mesmerized by this animal. When I came up to the jellyfish and I saw these jellyfish, you know what I'm talking about? Any, any people that you think jellyfish are just like dope when you see them, they look so cool. I'm coming up to the glass and I see these jellyfish and it was like a magnet. I just felt like sucked into these jellyfish. I don't know what about them exactly. Um, I don't know if it's their smooth movement. I don't know if it's like that translucent nature where like you see them but see through them simultaneously. The brilliant color, you know, of a, of a jellyfish. I came up and so there was these jellyfish and I had to figure out what they were and go back and I went on like the website. I was like, man, what was I seeing? They're called lion's mane jellyfish is what I had seen. And... There was something about them as I was being pulled in. I just felt like I wanted to just get in the, I'd taken this picture on my phone and I felt like I had just kind of wanted to get in the tank with them and I just wanted to be closer. I, I honestly feel like they're one of the most beautiful creatures, honestly, I've ever seen. There's something about them that I just like them. I don't know how else to explain it. I like them, okay? And so as I'm coming up closer to them, and I was learning more about what jellyfish are. If you don't know much about jellyfish, I had this realization that there's a reason that there's a piece of glass between me and those jellyfish. If you don't know anything about jellyfish, like in the case of the lion's mane jellyfish, um, they're not deadly. If they sting you, it's going to hurt. At the very worst, actually, some of them can cause like severe allergic reactions for people, but it's not supposed to kill you. It's just going to hurt. This thing is going to hurt real bad. I was looking up different jellyfish, though. You got ones like the box jellyfish. It's one of the most deadly creatures on, uh, on the earth where you get stung by one of those bad rascals. It's going to shoot venom through your body, and it's going to kill you. Uh, there's a movie out there. 
where somebody essentially takes their life with a jellyfish. That's how, like, it is very real. It preserves all your organs and stuff. It's crazy stuff. There's something about when I'm looking at these jellyfish, the appeal, the, it was like a lure just, like, dragging me in. I wanted to get closer to them, so I did it as best I could. I snapped a picture. <laughs> and uh, there's a reason that there's a piece of glass between me and that jellyfish, because whether I understand it yet at the time as I want to get closer or not, it will hurt me. And as I draw closer, even though I want, the closer I want to get, I want to just like touch it, depending on what the jellyfish is, it could kill me. I think the thing that we have to understand is that boundaries in relationships, they are so important because sexual intimacy outside of marriage, although it looks appealing and although it is alluring, if you cross the boundary, it will hurt you, if not kill, God's perfect will for your life. There's a reason with a jellyfish that there's a piece of glass in between, just like there is a reason that God sets up in his word certain commands that he has for our life to follow because he knows that although it is so appealing and so alluring and you just want to get a little bit closer to it, if you go past the glass, if you go past the boundary, it will hurt, if not kill, what he has for your life. Now, I'm just going to be real with you tonight. This one is going to hit different. Like, you're going to feel this one different tonight. Like, if you were here for one night last week, I was just the, uh, the interviewer, right? I was just, Holy Spirit interviewed my heart this week, and so I'm the one about to now bring it, my story, bring God's story, and hopefully it will speak to your story tonight. Now, if you haven't stuck with me here as we're getting into the message, if you haven't caught possibly what the title of my message might be, it is uh, The Jellyfish Effect. That's the title of my message. I was trying to decide what it should be called. I had a number of different titles. I felt like this one probably best classified and categorized what God would have me speak about tonight. If you're here a couple weeks ago, part two of this series, Relationships, um, the message my wife and I spoke was called Dating is Evaluating. In, a, message, in a, a certain section of that message, I talked about how confused I get, especially as I watch beautiful young ladies, but I'd say it just goes both ways. I get very confused sometimes at the choices people make with who they're dating. I look at it and I honestly just go, that don't make sense in a million years. The only thing that makes sense about it is clearly you are seeing that person as a project something for you to work on, because outside of that, it doesn't honestly make any natural sense to me on any level. I don't understand why someone could have standards so high called the Word of God where they know what the Bible says, and yet they lower them so low for somebody that in no way not only does not hit the standards of the Bible, but they, they're not even that good looking. Their character is not that great. They're not that talented. There's really nothing that mesmerizing about them that would draw them in like this jellyfish I speak of, yet for some reason, the jellyfish effect continually works on people. And there is this drawing into what you should not, what you are not supposed to have for some reason. Isn't this our humanity? Isn't this the nature of, of sin in our lives as the Bible talks about? And what I don't get a lot of times is I see these people drawn in is why they're with that person, but then I thought about it. I was like, you know, I do get it. And I will generalize when I say this statement, but I would say 
and going on 11 years this May that I've been in full-time ministry, worked at this church, and 33 years of my life that I have been going to church because I was in the womb when it started, I have watched people's relationships and I have watched patterns of why they do what they do. And I can't answer this question. Why would that person be with this person? Many times I have found that the reason that certain people decide to be with the people that they are is because they have entered sexual intimacy outside of marriage and it is now the jellyfish fish effect has come into play and they have found themselves now attached to that person. When I, uh, when I think about this idea that dating is evaluating, you know, we talk about this idea that there is purpose in dating. What you have to understand is that strictly and only the purpose of evaluating, so dating is evaluating, the purpose of evaluating is to determine whether or not that person is someone that you should marry or not. That is the purpose. The entire purpose to date someone is to determine, it's not what can I get out of you, it's not what do you have to offer me, it is one day when the time is right, should I marry this person? Does their character align with what the Bible says? Is our personalities gonna connect? Like, I'm a super emotional person. Are they a level-headed person that can help me balance? All these different pieces. The only purpose in evaluation and dating is to decide, should I date this, should I marry this person? And somebody said it this way, and this is how I know that people aren't evaluating most of the time when they enter dating relationships, is because they don't do it with intentionality. I love how someone said, they said, dating without the intent of getting married is like going to the grocery store with no money. You will either leave unsatisfied or you will take something that isn't yours. Man, I wish that was my quote. That is good. Meaning, if you're in a relationship and down deep, you know it in your heart that you should not be with that person because that person, according to the evaluation you should be doing, they are not marriage material. I will tell you the outcome is you will either exit that relationship unsatisfied or you will take something that does not belong to you in the midst of that relationship. Or let me even spin it. I'll get to this in a little bit. Don't worry, we'll get there. Or you will have something taken from you that was never yours to give in the first place. You know, many times people are participating, I've found, in sexual activity, and they're doing it because they have this void in them. There was this void that they have not allowed to be filled with who Jesus is, and so they're trying to fill it with anything they possibly can. So what they do is they put the label of love on their exploration of lust. And they label, oh, I love this person. No, you don't, you just wanna get in their pants. Oh, I love this person. No, you don't. You just want to have sex with that person. Oh, I love this person. No, you don't. You just like that they care about you and they take time to text you and check up on you. And you like waking up to, hi, good morning. You look good. You haven't even seen her yet. She looked like crap right now. Her breath stinks. Her hair is crazy. Her makeup ain't done. She don't look good. What you're telling her right now? But see, girls, you, you feed into this. You like this. And the interesting fact of all, all of this is you label it as love, and all that it really is is this emotion, this desire, really a curse, I would call it, of sin called lust. And you do it because there is this void that you've been trying to fulfill and fulfill, and you've been doing everything you possibly can to do so. You know my prayer is for tonight? Because I'm only on page two of a lot of pages. My prayer for tonight is that you would realize that you don't need another love. That Jesus is more than enough for you.
Another tangle, gotta rap, now it's gone, digress, God bless, come on, perspective, come on up here. It's got me learning life like a lesson, hoping that I lesson, all the ignorance in the past and the present, all that comes to pass from the bliss is the blisters, all that comes to mind, all I find is a mystery, I can let the thoughts all crash like Pacific, I can narrow down all down to specifics, I could walk around like you know that I'm spiffy, but you know I'm on Spirit stopping when the land for the body go low. Put your whole here effect. Only real thick. Come on, sing it loud, sing it loud. Here we go. I thought I need another love. Like there's something in this world you can't feel. Once I am standing up. Come on. Open my breath when I'm through that well. I don't need another love. I want to hear you loud, loud. I don't need it. Uh, uh. I don't need another love. Gotta avoid all these monkey rocks that hate your plans And there's a toy in the parking lot to shake my hand But I don't shake hands with fake mans that cut loose ends And egotistic, I'm just teaching and I hope y'all listen There ain't another love out there to help y'all fishing Quit the tripping, who reminiscing on an empty vision Broken heart, hurt, limping on an empty mission I know your wishes, I know your vicious I know you got an appetite for having big ambitions And when you make it, and you get it I pray you get it, I pray your daddy, find your mom Come on, here we go I thought I need another love Like there's something in this world you can't feel Pops that I'm sending up Sing it loud, loud, loud Open my breath when I'm through that well I don't need another love I don't need it Yeah I don't need another love I don't need it Come on, show those boys some love tonight Hey, I told y'all this one gonna hit different. Okay, you ready for the sermon now? Come on, get back, get back to your seats. Let's do it. Hopefully you're ready to dig in now. I thought I'd get your blood pumping a little bit so you'd be ready. Um, you know, I look back kind of on my, my journey with relationships, my journey with like purity, sexuality, all that stuff. Before I really truly grasped that I, like, I mean this, that I, didn't, I do not need, not even my wife, not my sons, not my brothers, my mom, my family, not anybody, like nobody on this earth. I do not need another love besides Jesus, okay? Right. Looking back on my journey, though, before I grasp that, I can easily look at all these sort of patterns and things that I begin to do, screwing up my relationships. Especially my first relationship, I was 16 years old, and man, I screwed it up royally, like as, like as bad for me as I possibly could. Um, now, I didn't have sex, but I did, uh, I did enough stuff outside of the grounds of that that really set my life up for so many more years to come in a way that 
was not only dishonoring to God, but it created so many habits and so many patterns in my life that became very difficult for me to break. Very, very difficult. You know, we talked about week one, the key to contentment, how like God does have a key that unlocks this door for your life and it, and it opens up so much more. But for me, I, was, I had the crowbar at 16. I was just breaking this door like wide open to get in. And things that God clearly had said, hey, I don't have this for you yet. It's not, it's not time yet. You just need to wait a little bit longer and I promise I do have it for you because I think we forget this a lot of times like sex, God's invention. Like he created sex. He created physical attraction among a male and a female. He created all these things. Anytime we begin to try to break into something that God has for you, but it's not yet time, you're only destroying what he already wants to give you when you're trying to prematurely get a hold of it. And in my life, I really started trying to break in and get a hold of it. And what happened was for the next number of years in my life, for a lot of years, it really created a lot of emotional and sexual wounds that I had to work through. I'll never forget, I was, uh, I was at church on a Sunday night. I'm playing guitar on stage. And so mind you, understand, just because you see somebody look good, and I'm not saying it's the people up here, but just because you look good on stage or look good in front of people doesn't mean your life isn't full of sin. Because I was 16 messing around with my girlfriend, and I'd step on stage and I'd lead worship. And I was a pastor's kid. I remember Sunday night, I'm playing my guitar, and the uh, power of God was just so strong. I literally crumbled. I remember I fell to my knees. My guitar clanged. I turned it off because it was like, like through the mains. And I just sat weeping. And God just spoke to me. Come on, Dave. I've been trying to get a hold of your heart. Enough is enough. This was back in the day when the pastors, there would be chairs up on the stage and the pastors would stand up there during worship and they'd come out, they'd preach, and they'd go there during the altar. So the chairs were on stage and our pastor was kneeling at his chair, your pastor, my dad. And God said, you wanna get clean? You wanna be done with this? You wanna start the journey? I didn't realize it was gonna be a journey that took so long because I broke open the door. So I went to him, I told him everything. Told him everything, every dirty detail of what I had done. Later that night, the worst part, he said, you got to tell your mom now. That was awful. It was literally awful. I remember sitting, sitting in their bedroom, just weeping, just as they asked me probing questions to want to know more and more. And I just had to like relive it. And I had to, but see, that was part of the healing process I had to go through. I sat there and told my mom. Before that, though, after I told my dad that night, I went to my youth pastor. It was in a back room off the stage, at the back of the stage. I remember I sat back in there with him. It's where all our guitars went. I sat there, and I told him everything that I had done. I told him all the details of my, my super mature sexual exploration. Because that's what we do, isn't it? It's like, I'm so mature, I can handle a real relationship. Isn't that what we tell ourselves? And then... Once we get there, at least for me, after it was done and after I had screwed up royally, I realized, wow, I am really immature. I really screwed this up bad. I remember he said something to me after I told him everything that it just, it's never left me. It's interesting because I was 16 at the time of the point of my sin there. 
that's been 17 years since then. I've lived longer than I was old when it had happened. He said something that I'll never forget. He said, love is progressive. And he gave me this image of a door when we talked. He said, you imagine you open the door. In this case, I broke it wide open. He said, when you open it and you're able to see inside and you're able to enter that space, you will see another door. Opening this first door won't be enough for you. You will want to open the next door. It's just how we're wired. We have to have more. We're unfulfilled. And you will enter that door, and as you enter that door, there will be another door, and you will find the need to enter that next door. So for some of you, I'd say it this way. It's like you got the feels for somebody, and you hug them, and you give them a hug. You're like, ooh, that feels nice. But then you're like, you want to hold their hand, right? I'll never, the I'll never forget the first time. Me and Sid were in a movie, and I was trying to, like, tickle her fingers and, like, hold her hand. And you know how it is. I, I know how it is. You, it's like when you're going to hold a girl's hand, like, I don't know if all the guys did, so it was just me. It's like you spider crawl over to her hand with your hand. <laughs> and then you, it's very awkward. And then your hands are so sweaty by the time you touch her. She feels like a cow is, like, licking her hand or something, right? <laughs> You know, you hug, and that's like, that's good, but now you want to hold her hand. And then you want to have your first kiss. But then the kiss is enough. You want to make out. And making out, standing vertically is not enough. You want to lay down horizontally now and make out. And then doing that's not enough because you want to start taking your hands and putting them everywhere they don't belong and start doing that. But that's not enough because then you want to start taking people's clothes off. And that's not enough, so then... You start rounding first, second, third. By the next thing you know, you're hitting a home run. That is how it works. Do you know why love is progressive? Because love in the confines of marriage, you can hit home runs every day of the week if you want to. Like God has set it up where you are able to enjoy physically everything that he has set up for you called sex within marriage with love, and it can be progressive. So when you enter one door, you can enter the next, and you can enter the next, and you can, because truly it's in the covenant of marriage, and God's love is upon your love. The issue with love being progressive is not the fact that love is progressive. It's us understanding that also lust is progressive as well. And you must understand that although God made things for marriage, you're going to have urges and inklings to do certain things outside of marriage that God gave you, but he gave you to save it for marriage. It's not like there's this magical number where everybody gets married at the same age, right? So it's not like, 22, I'm going to give you the desire to want more of a woman or more of a man because you're about to get married because some people get married at 30 and some people get married at 22, so as we get older, all these urges continue to build within us, but God said, I do have it designed for a certain time where love can be progressive, but if you bust open that door early, you will find that lust is progressive as well, and it will not give to you, it will take more from you than truly you want to give. So for me, what happened is I broke down that door in my adolescence, outside of marriage before God had intended it. So now what happened is I began to create some really bad habits and tendencies in my life. You know, for many years, my walk with Jesus was just trying to kill my flesh, just trying to kill my flesh. I spent more time at the altar asking God to forgive me of my sin 
than I did to tell him, God, I'm yours. Use me, call me, send me. And I want you to look at what you're, what you're uh, taking in right now. This is me we're talking about. God has used me for great things. I just would like to pose a question. What would it look like if this is what God can use me for? If you didn't waste your time so worried about your sin and God forgiving you and you wasted it saying, Lord, I'm here, use me. I know you've called me. God, I got a purpose on my life. If this is what he can do with me, what can he do with you? Man, I wasted so many years just trying to crucify my flesh and just crucify my sin nature. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about in Colossians 3, 5. He says, you have to put to death this stuff. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which he's saying, all of that, that's idolatry. You know, a lot of younger people, they completely misunderstand how all of this works. And if you could just listen to me, truly, I'm trying to help you. I know I'm 33. I know I'm like an old person to you at this point. I know you don't think I know what I'm talking about, but I promise you I'm trying to help you because you have this misunderstanding of how all of this works. You think that you can just turn things on and turn them off so quickly. And you're thinking that you can just fool around and do what you want while you're young and there won't be any repercussions when you get older. But the honest truth, the reality is that the habits that you create now, they will be the demons that you have to fight off next. I promise you, the things you participate in, the patterns you create, the habits that you instill yourself in now, they will be the demons of the next day in your life. You know, when I was younger, I don't wanna get anyone confused here at all, I loved Jesus with all my heart. I loved him so much, truly. And it isn't, isn't it confusing? I say I love Jesus, but then I so clearly sin against him. Isn't it sort of confusing? Even in my sin, I still loved Jesus so much. But see, I broke open a door that wasn't made to be open yet. So I created now habits and tendencies that I wasn't even supposed to know what any of those things felt like yet until marriage, but because I now felt them early, there is now this tug of war that's beginning to happen called flesh and spirit. So the spirit of God in me was in love with Jesus. The spirit of God in me wanted more of God. The spirit of God in me felt a call on my life to minister. The spirit of God in me knew what I was capable of. My flesh was wanting to do everything in its power to sin against him. So with my spirit, I loved him, but with my flesh, I hated him. And this is the conundrum, this is the issue that every single one of us are facing here. And the Apostle Paul speaks about this in Romans 7. Now, this thing is a tongue twister. So I'm gonna try to read it slow so it makes sense to you. Verses 15 to 20. Paul said, I do not understand what I do. Anybody feel that way ever? Amen. You feel like, man, I just don't. I don't get myself. He said, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sinful, it is sin living in me that does it. What I find so ironic about sexual sin is that so many people wander innocently into sexual sin. And the irony of it all is that the sole objective of this specific sin is to steal your innocence. So we innocently wander into it, we say, yet the whole scheme of the devil with sexual sin is to steal the very same thing that you just wandered in with, that innocence. Sexual sin is a monster that once you feed it, it grows to a point that it owns you, it takes you, it enslaves you. It's very simple. You kill it or it kills you. That is how it works. That is why scripture says you have to crucify the flesh. It says you have to put to death these things because if you don't kill it, it will kill you. And what I find so potent about sexual impurity is that it is a sin, follow me here, that almost never is committed without a combination of other sins attached to it. Most of the time, lying is probably the most uh, found sin to follow sexual immorality and sexual nature. I would say probably deception and manipulation are close seconds. You will find, though, that lying will always be coupled in some way with sexual sin. Let me give you an example. Here's your life, you're participating in sexual sin, and here's a, here's a conversation, not exactly, but here's the kind of conversation I had as I tiptoed through my house, and this would be my dad on the other end of the conversation. You're on your way out of your house to go on a date, and one of your parents asks you, hey, what's your plans for tonight? You wouldn't say, uh, I'm going to have sex and lose my virginity tonight. I'll be home by 11. What's going to be your response? Uh, we're going ice skating or we're going bowling or we're going to go see a movie or we're going to go have a worship night with progression. Like, right? You're not going to be honest enough to say what you're actually planning and what you're actually fantasizing about and what you're actually going to do. But see, sexual morality it is a sin that roots itself so deep in your soul that it entangles you to other sins. Look at King David. I can't go through the whole journey here with King David, but really quick. King David, the Bible says, greatest king ever, man after God's own heart, all of these things. And he sees this woman bathing named Bathsheba, and he goes, I gotta have her. She looked good. Bring her to me. He ends up having an affair with her, sleeping with her, ends up getting her pregnant. What is the first thing he does afterwards? Does he go, so, uh, hey, God, I'm so sorry. Hey, to her husband, I'm so sorry. Everyone, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, I wish I didn't. What's the first thing he does? He lied about it. The first thing he did after he had slept with Bathsheba was lied. What followed the lie? After that, he puts her husband on the front line who was fighting for him and his army, and he murdered him, made sure he was in the front line, he was killed. When he was one of the higher up dudes in his army that should have been way back and protected him, he put him way out front. So you see here, sexual sin never usually is by itself. It's usually coupled with other sin. It usually has other sins that quickly grip and follow it because sexual sin always gives birth to another sin, always. 
You know, there's a couple different people I want to speak to, I feel, listening to this message. Some of our family online or those of you that will watch this message later. I felt like God told me to break this down, zone in with you, and just take a moment to speak to you for a second here. Two people that God told me about. One, maybe you're far from the stage of dating and you're far from the point of making sexual mistakes. God wants me to speak to you tonight that you would heed this warning and you would follow his standards. You do not have to make the same mistakes as me or anybody in this room that has. The second group, maybe you're here, you've already made some of those mistakes. I wanna tell you tonight is your night to surrender. This is your night to kill that monster. It really is. So I'm gonna get ultra practical, and I don't say this all the way in this fashion, but listen, if you're not taking notes tonight, you should be. I'll say it like that. I was gonna be a little bit harder on you. I'll ease back my words. You should be. You cannot retain everything I'm saying, and there will be a day that you'll be thinking, man, why did I not write all that down? I wish I could go back and take it in. I wanna give you some tips and some principles that will help you from busting this door open prematurely. Very simple stuff, but I truly, if you follow them, it's gonna help you. The first thing God spoke to me, number one, is he told me that familiarity is not your friend. You know, familiarity, it's, that's a relaxed friendliness or an intimacy between people. It's feeling like, oh, we're getting along, we tight, we close. Why is familiarity not your friend? Because in a dating relationship, if you don't agree upon certain healthy boundaries that you bring an authority into, meaning it'd be a parent, a pastor, a leader, where you create accountability and healthy boundaries that you bring somebody into, if you don't set that up with the person that you're dating, then you're gonna find yourself getting relaxed. When you get relaxed, you drop your guard. When you drop your guard, the devil is there to pounce on you. Familiarity, meaning you go in the, the, the bedroom of, of your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever it is. It could even be a guy and a girl and your friends or whatever, right? And you go in the bedroom and you're there alone. That's familiarity. Nobody else is home and you're there. That's familiarity. You go and you park somewhere isolated. That's familiarity. You're gonna find yourself in these situations instantly lowering your guard. You lower your guard, you're done. Imagine that war, a shield up. What happens as soon as a, a warrior lowers their shield? I don't know, shot, stabbed, karate kicked in the face. I don't know, I don't know what nation or year we're in right now, but something bad happens. You lower your guard, you're dead. So here's like a couple practical things to help you not fall into the friendship of familiarity, okay? One is if your parents aren't doing this for you, then do it for yourself. Give yourself a curfew. Set a curfew for your life, for yourself, for when you're dating somebody. I would say on a practical level, and I'll just give you, tell you what my curfew was. When I was in high school, it was 11 p.m. And that, we're not talking weekdays, we're talking weekends. Weekdays, I was home earlier. Weekends, it was 11 p.m. My dad had this philosophy. He said, anything past 12 is the devil's playground. And man, he was not wrong. I tested it, found out. When I was in college, and even in my young adult years, it was, it was 12. Because anything past 12 is devil's playground. So I was home by 12. I want to paint this picture for you. I'm 26 years old. Okay, I turned 26 in January. I was married in August. I'm 26 years old, living in my parents' house. I'm dating my wife. I'm a youth pastor for a living. This is what I do. And I have a curfew. 
how, how easy would it have been for me to be like, I'm moving out of this house. If you give me a curfew, like, I ain't following those rules. That's dumb. Well, first of all, my mom made me food. She did my laundry, and I got to live there for free. So I wasn't going to leave so quick. <laughs> Secondly, I'd say this. Why would I remove something that's trying to protect my life and set my marriage up for the success that I have right now, seven years this August, with our baby number two? Any day, not yet, wait a second, coming. <laughs> like, why would I want to mess that up? See, my parents were teaching me, I didn't realize this, because I didn't always love a curfew. We had conversations. When they, at the point that they like raised my curfew when I went into college and realized when I was away at college, I didn't have a curfew. I could stay out as late as I want. But when I came home, I'm under my parents' roof. I had one, midnight. That's very binding and breaking to your will. That's very humbling. But if I was not willing to be humbled in that season, God couldn't honor me in this season. I promise you that. Set a curfew. Very simple, but if your parents aren't willing to do it, you do it yourself. Another thing I'd say is be honest with your personality and your emotions. Determine your touches and triggers is the way I'll say it. So if you're naturally like a touchy-feely person, you got to know if you're dating somebody and you got to be willing to create some boundaries there. Well, if you're like, oh, hey, and it's like, some guy, right, girl comes up, and she's just touchy-feely. She's being friendly. She means something. But some guy, that girl just touches his arm. He's like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's like, you got to know what your touches and triggers are because if somebody being all touchy-feely and friendly and, you're like, you're probably creating, passing some barriers, right, some boundaries, if that is, like, bringing sexual desire out of you that you know should not exist, you have to set those things up and talk about that. You have to set parameters. Even when you create a curfew, you know what you should be doing? With good friends that you should trust, you should be like sharing your location with them so they can check up on you. Like for real, when, when Pastor Steve and the whole island team, when they went to Florida, Ethan Socks, he gets get, keeping buzz from all his boys saying, bro, it says you're in Florida right now. Because <laughs> Pastor Steve, they didn't tell many people that went and go shot, shot. If you haven't seen it, go, go to the Island Images YouTube channel. But I think that's a great thing that we're checking up on each other and we have the accountability. Some people would say, whoa, you're my business. No, they're trying to help you fulfill God's business for your life. They really are trying to help you succeed. So you gotta be willing to create the right accountability. One thing I would just say on a practical level with determining touches and, and, and triggers would be reading the Bible together when you're dating is not a good thing. What do you mean we're trying to put God in it? First thing you start doing is you're reading the Bible together and it's all spiritual and holy. Next thing you're doing is you, you're laying on the hands and you're speaking in tongues. And if you know what I mean by speaking in tongues, I ain't talking about the Holy Spirit. I mean your tongue down their mouth. That's what I'm talking about right now. And it might have started one way and it's holy and it's spiritual, but you will find that spiritual things are very emotional. Emotional things can become very easily very physical. Physical things usually are, are and, and our means, in our case, I guess, are painted very sexual at times. So what I encourage people to do is read the Bible when you're engaged. Start there. Like you think you're doing yourself a favor? No, you're actually creating a trigger that's probably going to set you up, and those touches and triggers are a real thing. Number two, I'm going to keep moving. Here we go. Purity doesn't mean part of you. Any part of you that isn't committed to God means that every part of you, okay? Take it in. Here we go. Any part of you that isn't committed to God, every part of you is compromised for God. If there is any single part of your life that isn't 100% committed, you are already 100% compromised. Look what Romans 6, 13 says. 
Paul said, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, any part, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So here's a really simple way you can do it. Use your body as a checklist. Take different limbs and parts of your body and use it as a checklist to determine if you're allowing yourself to be an instrument of sin or not. So take your brain, take your mind here. Is your brain thinking about fantasies and sinful thoughts and are you allowing things to sit up there that is not honoring to God? Because if you are, that means you're being used as an instrument of sin. Take your eyes. If your eyes, you know, guys, I know how it is. You gotta bounce those eyes at times, right? I get it. But if, you're, if your eyes, though, are taking in, in even, say, movies that in any way are, like, giving you this sexual urge and desire that you shouldn't be feeling and having right now, you can't watch that stuff. Right away, we skip to pornography. Do you know how many other things before you get to pornography are, are driving you sexually that shouldn't be? How about your ears? You get in certain proximity. Man, I wish I would have just changed lunch tables. I just wish I would have changed lunch tables because I sat there every day and I heard about all of their sexual escapades that they had over the weekend and I sat there and I was just like shaking with sexual desire that I couldn't control because I was taking in their sexual jokes, their sexual stories, all the stuff that they had to say that I didn't need to hear. It was messing me up. It was messing my heart up with God. How about your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth? Because if you're just trying to be all popular and like tell this funny joke or this sexually, you know, like drenched story or whatever it is or cussing, whatever it is, if you're allowing things to come out of your mouth that could entice you or other people sexually, you're being used as an instrument of sin. How about your hands? I mean, I could use every part of the body, but how about your hands? Your hands, right away we think, oh, touching someone inappropriately. No, let's just dial back here. Sexting. No, let's just dial back further. How about... If you text, young man, if you text a young lady something that you know is going to get her emotions popping, you're being used as an instrument of sin because you know what you're saying to her. You know it's gonna get her moving. You know it's gonna put her in the palm of your hands. You know that you're gonna say just the right words to make her feel exactly what you want so you can get out of her what you want out of her. That's not love, that is lust. You're being used as an instrument of sin. So let's just use our body as a checklist. You go through it, you process it with the Holy Spirit, you look and say, Lord, my mind, my ears, my eyes, my mouth, my feet, whatever it is, my heart, we didn't even talk about the heart. Like, use this as a checklist, because see, true purity, it isn't giving God just part of you, it is truly giving God all of you. That's true purity. Saying, God, all of me, my mind is yours, my mouth is yours. A lot of times we just think, oh, sexual purity is just, you think the wrong thoughts or see the wrong thing or you touch the wrong thing, right? No, 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 no. It's what you allow in your ears. Sometimes you should change locations because you don't need to be around some of the people what they're talking about. Like it's so much, like what's coming out of your mouth? Because anything impure, it is triggering other sins, especially we talked about already. This sexuality, it triggers all these other sins. Okay, here we go. Number three, I gotta keep moving, man. I got a lot of sermon to preach here. Flee from sexual fun. I just wanna call it what it is. It is fun. I wanna call it exactly what it is. When I was 16, when I was running around sinning sexually with my girlfriend, it was fun. Sin is fun. I almost was gonna call this message sex is fun. That's what I was gonna title it but that's not really what it's about. It was just like clickbait for YouTube. That was the only reason. Sin is fun. It is absolutely fun. 
until the point one day you wake up so empty and hopeless, it ain't fun anymore. Until the day that finally the monster is too big that you can't control anymore and it eats you alive. But it is fun until that point, until it destroys you. So number three, flee from sexual fun. And I'd say this, when you feel like the onset of sexual sin is trying to take you over, put on your high tops, put on your Nikes, your Adidas, your Pumas, whatever your favorite shoe is, your off-weights, probably not, but put on whatever you got, go barefoot for all I care, but run, run. I don't care if your socks get dirty and wet, run. Because what happens a lot of times is a lot of it is, I think, even accidental. I don't even think it's all like this major impure thing that happens. I think sometimes y'all can be on like social media and something pops up completely on accident. The point at which that pops up, that is not sin. That's called temptation. It's the point at which you go back to it or you linger on it. That's sin. There's a difference. So the point at which something pops up that could immediately get a hold of your heart where you just want to linger for a second or you want to go, you like went back and you're like, oh, and you go back to that, that explore or whatever it is, right? That's sin. At that point where that's there, even there for a second, run. Barefoot, whatever you got to put on your shoes, run. I mean like, guys, when a young lady walks in the room and you know she isn't covered up like she should be, that even happens at church. Because listen, everybody's welcome at church. If they don't know Jesus, if they ain't dressing quite right, they're welcome at church. So it's going to happen. At the point that that happens, though, you better start playing some March Madness basketball and bouncing those eyes away. I can't tell you how many times I've been leading worship up here and people ain't, they don't got enough clothes. I need to get them like a parka or something. We need to have like ponchos, ponchos here. Well, we need them anyways because when the Holy Spirit starts raining down, we want to receive it anyways. So, okay. So I can't tell you how many times, though, that I'm just like, Lord of heaven, and like, I'm just like, close my eyes and look into heaven right now, right? That's the reality. I'd even say this, guys, girl walks in, she don't look right, you know you can't quit, quit looking at her, I don't care if you have to look like a freaking fool, run. I don't care if you're sitting in class, it's in the middle of an exam, run. I don't care. I would rather that you save your soul than you lose your life because you have to sit there and ponder with your eyes, what's, I truly would. You know, girls, when, when, when a, you know a guy starts texting you or he's saying the words, whatever, and man, it just starts making your heart flutter and, or melt or whatever, or rise or whatever. I don't know what your hearts do. Whatever's happening though. And the guy's, right? And the guy knows what he's saying or maybe even, even it's innocently and he doesn't even know he's flirting. He's just being friendly. And things just start, run. If you know it's not godly, run. Because the minute the devil has your emotions, he has your sexuality, young ladies. The minute he's, with guys, it's the physical, it's the eyes, it's the touch. But with girls, the minute he has your heart, he's got your whole body. Because he just pulls in this little string called your heart. And then that, it's just in your mind, you're like, oh, what if one day we could, and you start fit. And he gets a hold of your emotions and he gets a hold of all of the rest of you. Run. This is why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 to 20, he said, flee from sexual morality. All other sins that a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When you look at this word in here, sexual morality, sexual morality comes from the Greek word porn, pornania, which means fornication. 
Now, the Bible uses the word fornication basically to describe like lust or sexual activity that's happening outside of marriage. People that are breaking open the door outside of marriage, and they're breaking it open. That's called fornication. This word, Greek word here, pornania, that's what we're talking about right now. You know, I, you probably noticed this. Pornania sounds a lot like another word, just porn. Now, the, the full word pornography, that comes from the Greek, porni, which means actually prostitute. And then graphine means to write. That's the two words in Greek put together to get pornography. Do you realize the power and effect that pornography has on human beings? Everybody take a big breath in for a second because we're going to go for a little bit. And I will just tell you the tip I already know. If you can't make eye contact with me, I already, I already got your number. I know where you're at. So just stick with me here. We're going to make it through. I want to share with you a number of things that therapists, psychiatrists, neurologists, authors, that they've come together, that they, they study, they handle pornography and sexuality for a living. This is what they do. And they're not even all Christian. And I'm going to address a lot of issues with young men, but I do want to make it abundantly clear with some of the things that are said. I want to make it clear that this is not an epidemic just among young men anymore. This is with young women, any age woman anymore as well. This is not a specific gender thing. This is a people, human being thing. When you look at the definition of pornography, I thought it was very interesting that it's not just about the images you take in. They also are very clear to talk about writing. Books, it could be text messages, letters. Pornography can be rooted in more than just images. There's many of other things that could stir sexual desire. A therapist by the name of Lane Moltz, he says that pornography makes a major impact on brain chemistry. Pornography causes a huge spike of dopamine. If you don't know dopamine, dopamine, you're talking about like neurotransmitters and stuff here, communicating from nerve cell to nerve cell. It creates a huge spike of dopamine production in the brain. And many researchers believe that the dramatic increase in dopamine caused by the viewing of pornography is similar to that of the high someone experiences when they're using crack cocaine. It has been proven that people that go into porn recovery, like submit themselves fully to it, it takes 18 months to heal from the damage to their dopamine receptors alone. I'm saying they've shut the rest of the world out. They've gone into full-on recovery. It takes 18 months to recover from this. If you look at some of the images I'm going to put up here from Dr. Lawrence V. Tucker, he's from the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. Image one, it will show what your brain's supposed to look like. This is what it should look like. Image two is what it looks like on a heroin addiction. Image three is what it looks like on a pornography addiction. Put all the images up together. Image four, take them all in, see the differences between them. This is your brain of what it should look like. This is the brain of a drug addict, and this is the brain of a porn addict. You can see how melted, how molded, how messed up a brain is taking in images like this. Watching pornography 
it bypasses and it weakens the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that's responsible for impulse control and decision making. Let me say it, good decision making. I had this thought the other day, no wonder we have an entire generation of young people who can't get their life together. They can't move out of their parents' house. They can't get a job. They can't get married. They can't figure out their finances. They can't get their life together. I wonder why, because their prefrontal cortex, and I am generalizing, by the way, might just be melted and molded and mush. There's a writer from New York Magazine by the name of Naomi Wolf, and she said that you would think porn would make men into raving beasts. On the contrary, the onslaught of porn is responsible for deadening the male sexual desire in relation to real women and leading men to see fewer and fewer women as porn-worthy. Women are not having to fend off porn-crazed men, but are having a hard time to even keep their attention. Author Dana Gresh, she adds that the lure of porn, man, take this in, is never quenched by marital sex. I'll say it again. The lure of porn is never quenched by marital sex because porn has nothing, almost nothing to do with real love and real sex. It's as counterfeit as a counterfeit can be. In 1 Corinthians 6, we just read that earlier, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that we need to flee from sexual morality. He's saying, get out now. In a different letter, he writes to his spiritual son by the name of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He said, flee the evil desires of youth. Take that in for a second. There is something evil connected to our youth very, very easily. There's an immaturity. There's a live for the moment, life will just be there tomorrow kind of thought process. He says, flee, he didn't say flee the evil desires of, of mankind or human beings. He said, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I love how the Passion Translation says it. It says, run as fast as you can from all the ambitions and lusts of youth and chase after all that is pure. Whatever builds up your faith and deepens your love must become your holy pursuit and live in peace with all those who worship our Lord Jesus with pure hearts. Why is Paul so adamant that you must flee now? Why is it not like, hey, this is gonna work out. You're just young. You'll figure it out. Like, Give it like a year, maybe like maybe by like your 20th birthday or something. Maybe at 30th birthday, you should start growing up. Why does he say flee now? Why is he speaking with such absolute? It isn't like, hey, when it's convenient, flee from sexual morality. Hey, when you feel like it, flee from sexual morality. Why is he saying flee from sexual morality? Why is he so pinpointed? Because he knows if you don't flee now, I promise you, it will ruin your future later. It will ruin your marriage later. It will ruin your kids later. It will ruin your life if you don't flee now. And people are under this assumption that when they get married, they can, I can just have as much sex as I want now, and it's going to just fix everything. We just had a professional tell us, porn and sex, they're not the same thing. It doesn't fix everything. 
Porn is a false fantasy. Sex is a real creation of God. They're not even in the same ballpark at all. So we think that I can just take in whatever I want now and then later when I get married, I can have sex and I can fix all this. But it will fix nothing. You will just walk in broken and completely entangled in your addiction, now making your spouse have to deal with it as well. And if you're under the sound of my voice tonight, and if this resonates with you on any level, I wanna help you. I want to be able to take the word of God right now and show you step by step really quick here. This could be a whole sermon itself. I felt like I was supposed to give it and we'll talk about it later. Come talk to me, talk to our leaders, talk to us, we'll walk you through with it, but some steps you can take to flee from pornography. I wanna talk about pornography specifically. Step number one, admit that you have an addiction. It's actually interesting. I was researching this in the, what is it called? Like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or whatever it is. That is, by the way, so no one's confused, that is not the Church of Jesus Christ according to the Bible that we read. That's completely different religion off here. And I will even go as far to say that is a cult. They do not in any way represent Jesus Christ. The number one thing they said, they said, don't admit it's an addiction. Go, don't go that far. I was like, that is the dumbest, most cracked out thing I've ever heard. Speaking of cracked out, if someone was cracked out, right? If someone's shooting up all the time, if someone snort lines of coke all the time, what do you call them? Uh, somebody that likes to do drugs? You call them a drug addict is what you call them. So if you're having this constant urge to look at pornography, if you're constantly struggling with this, what do you call it? You call yourself a porn addict. That's what it's called. The minute that you can give yourself the ability to say, I'm addicted to this, is the first day in your life you might be able to become free from it. The minute you can say you're addicted. But see, a lot of times people say, well, I, it's just every once in a while. Like, no, no. Three times a week is every once in a while. Once a week is every once in a while. Once a month, I understand, maybe you slipped up here and there, I get it, and God's grace is huge for you. I'm not condemning a single person here, because believe me, I'm gonna share more of my story this fall for in a series coming up. I'm no saint. I'm just trying to help you not go through what I've gone through, that's it. Call yourself what you are. You're an addict, which I don't understand the word addiction in general, because it's A-D-D, addiction. Addictions add nothing to your life. They strip you of everything. The word itself doesn't make any sense to me. You're addicted. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them, that's the dude that finds mercy. That's the girl that finds mercy. That's the person God can work with. They're saying, I'm addicted. I'm in sin. I'm struggling. I'm messed up. I need some help. Speaking of help, step two, you need to set up godly accountability. We're gonna talk about, I wanna define this. What is godly accountability? First off, look at James 5, 16. James wrote, he said, therefore confess your sins one to another. Like freely talk about your sins. And then I love this, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let's talk about godly accountability really quick. What is godly, let me say, what is, what is, God, what is not godly accountability? Let's start there. It's not godly accountability when you can constantly go to that person, they go, oh, it's no problem, you just screwed up, no big deal, keep going. That's not godly accountability. 
Godly accountability plants the fear of God in you. Godly accountability makes you more fearful of who God is. Fear meaning you respect him, you honor him so greatly. It's like, man, I was fearful my dad growing up. Why? Because I respected him and I honored him. I do to this day. Godly accountability, that's gonna come alongside you. That's gonna call some stuff out in you. That's gonna say, you know what? You're not this. You don't have to live this life. There is more for you. You can kick this addiction. You can overcome this. I see God's purpose on your life. They're gonna build you up and call you out. We, don't, we like the buildup. We don't like the call out. But see, godly accountability is gonna speak into your life. The right people, the right place, the right program. You're gonna surround yourself in places where you're not gonna fall. You're gonna surround yourself with people that are gonna keep you held up and push you forward. And I even say the right programs. I'm talking like software, filters, uh, if you gotta go get counseling, whatever it is, you're gonna surround yourself with godly principles and people that are gonna help you through it. Step three, man, should have done a whole nother sermon on this. I could sit on that all night. Step three, this is very important. Don't walk. Do not, do not, do not walk in shame. Don't. You can't. You can't, you can't. When I said, listen, don't drop your eyes on me, look at me, I'm not trying to put you in a hole. I'm trying to say, lift up your head and look at me because you can pick up your head because Jesus is your God. Amen. And we can look each other in the eyes. I'm imperfect, you're imperfect. Let's look at each other. Don't be ashamed. Do not walk in shame. Look at what scripture says, Romans 10, 11, as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him, meaning Jesus, will never be put to shame. The apostle Paul says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So even when you feel like you're the only one struggling with this, you're the only one that's ever faced this before. You have to understand you are not alone. The number one lie that Satan wants to feed you is that you're the only one thinking this. You're the only one that's done this wrong. You're the only one going through this. Now, I've done full-time ministry. I told you now for 11 years. This right here with y'all, 10 years. Most of y'all haven't even been here for 10 years. You've come through and you've grown up and you moved on and more have come through, right? You know how many different people, I've heard the same stories over and over again, you know, different people have come to me and they slept with this person or they did this drug or they got drunk or they're addicted to pornography or they went through, somebody did something to them that they couldn't control and now they're dealing with the repercussions. Guys, I'm not trying to put your story down. I'm just trying to let you know you're not the only person that's walked through what you're walking through. I've walked through it. Our leaders have walked through it. Our pastoral team has walked through it. You're not the only one. The greatest lie of the enemy is wants to get you to believe that you're the only one struggling with this. And because you think you're the only one, you think you have to do it on your own. And because you do it on your own, you can never overcome it because you never bring that godly accountability in. Number four, choose freedom. Galatians 5, verse one, it said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again. You see, look at again by the yoke of slavery. It's like, stand firm. Don't go back to where you just were. Don't be burdened by slavery again. You've been pulled out of that. Don't be doing that again. I truly believe that freedom is a choice. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have been set free, it is now your choice to live free. If you want more on this, you should go to our YouTube page, watch the sermon, or just search on YouTube, Pastor Steve, heads held high. Go watch that sermon. It will teach you how to live in freedom because it is your choice. Many times we go, oh, God, just free me. He's already done it. You need to say, God, give me the strength now. Pull the, put the right people around me. Help me in my prayer life. Help me be hungry. Help me to thirst for who you are and be hungry for who you are so that I can walk this out because you're already free. You just gotta live it out. Freedom is a choice, y'all. You know, I found that most of the time, you know, 
Because I've been there, I've done that. I know what I'm talking about, breaking the door open. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I found that it wasn't like in this moment, some animal-like instinct took me over. I was like, oh, I just want to like do a bunch of sexually wrong things right now. Mm. It was usually over time, and I find the reason that most people participate in sexual sin with another person is that over time, they've been allowing impure thoughts to live in their mind rent-free. And they have been pondering fantasies of another person. They've been pondering girls emotionally, how he makes you feel, and what, what if, like, what if I had this experience with him? I think I love him. And, and, and a guy just like, oh, man, like, I just been building up. She looked good. And if I had, if I had this moment, if I could just do this, man, if, like, I, if I could just, if my parents weren't home. Like, you, we start playing all this stuff, and we start allowing all of these impure thoughts to live in our mind rent-free. You know, so when the Apostle Paul speaks to this, I want you to really take in this scripture and understand what he's trying to speak to right now. I'm going to build this scripture up, and I'm going to read this scripture one more time, but I want you to understand it first. I would say it this way. My wife and I, our first year of marriage, we couldn't find a house. We couldn't get a house. So we moved into an apartment. We didn't like that apartment. We lived there for a year under the lease, and God blessed us with a house. We got out in there six years now. That first year in that apartment was not fun by any means. I got a lot of memories there. My clothes smelling like weed from the neighbors next door. Dude broke, tried to break in while, you know, Melissa, one of our leaders, and my wife were there in our apartment. Me and Pee Pee were scourging out of here, just like two wheels going like on the turns. We're going through red lights. I, mean, I, was just, I thought I was trying to save my wife's life, I thought. Got a lot of bad, bad memories. But you know one thing that I don't even for a second get confused about living in that apartment? We might have called it our apartment, but we knew it wasn't our apartment. We knew that we were just leasing it. It was just being rented. We had to pay 650 bucks a month for a place that we knew wasn't ours. We knew that it was basically money. We were just kind of flushing and giving to them because we knew they owned that place. And I think this is the confusion that a lot of believers have. They can't come to this conclusion and this is why even people that know Jesus fall into sin, and obviously people that don't know Jesus fall into sin. You ready for the scripture now? Let's read it again, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Follow me here now. He says, you are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. There's two things that you need to understand about your body, therefore your sexuality. Number one, you're only renting. You don't own the house. It's not yours. Jesus paid the highest price. He paid in blood on the cross to pay for this house. It's not yours. You can't just do with it what you want to do with it. You can't just allow anybody to put their hands on it. You're not even supposed to be filling it with the thoughts and the different things you've been filling it with because it is not your house. You've just been renting it. Number two, you do not have the right to allow anything to occupy your mind or your body rent-free, as the kids say. You do not have the right to allow anybody in that space because you're just leasing it. It's not yours to let anything, any thoughts, any pornography, anybody, we say, rent-free 
in that space. It is 100% God's call what and who occupies what he owns. So when the Apostle Paul says, you are not your own, he means it. He's saying, you were bought with a price. So this whole nonsense of like, well, this is just, girls, this is just my body. I want to do what I want with it. I can have an abortion if I want to. No, I'm sorry you can't. You like really can't because it's not your body. Oh, this is just, this is my body. I'll wear what I want and flash it off. No, it's not. You ain't showing off your body. You're showing off God's body. I want you to ask yourself some like this question, and I'll give you a couple, couple thoughts here, but ask yourself this question. Who or what am I allowing to own me? Because if it's not your body, right, it's supposed to be God that owns you. If you're falling into some of the things we're talking about, then who or what are you allowing to own you? Is it your sexual fantasies? Is it the pressure of culture? Is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it, is it your emotions or could even be your own selfish pride? What or who are you allowing to own you? I got some really special guests that I asked to come tonight to share. And uh, I've known them for a really long time. And it's amazing how God set this up because this question that we're talking about right here who are you allowing to own you? They had to really answer that question. So are you guys ready to hear from some incredible people tonight? I want you to give it up for Amanda and Brad as they come. I got them ready for you. It's super heavy and you can barely breathe in the room. I got them ready for you. Yep. Uh, so I've known, I've known Brad since I moved to Emily City in fifth grade. Fifth grade, Miss Wilson's class. Miss Wilson's, Miss Wilson. I remember I'd come home and uh, I told my dad a couple things. Uh, they taught me this on the playground. I swear it was Brad that taught me it on the playground. He's like, what, what are they teaching you? Like, no, it was Brad or we, we say our other, one of our other friends. But um, so you, we grew up together. We played basketball together. We were in like pre-calc and trigonometry and calculus together and all that in high school. And you grew up with Pastor Steve, uh, kind of yep. like in, in school and everything. So... It's really an amazing story. Their story has so much to it. I asked them to dumb it down because it could go a million directions of how faithful God's been and what he's done in their lives. But I just want you to kind of set the stage of your story. I know hearing this message, you're resonating with it 100%. And uh, what's incredible about this is she didn't know she was going to do this until Sunday when I asked her to do it. She woke up like last week or something, and the Lord just like spoke to her like, all this stuff, she just like started downloading all these thoughts, middle of the night. Three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning. And, she, and I have four kids, so I want yeah, sleep. she does have four kids. <laughs> they have four kids. Four kids within how many years? Four years and four months. Woo, buddy. <laughs> oh, they going. They got this door wide open, y'all. <laughs> so um, I just think it's crazy, though, how God really just aligned this and spoke to you to do this because this is exactly what I was looking for. So just share what's on your heart. Start from the top and just tell them your story. Yeah, well, I will say I had tech lab with Pastor Steve, and I'm going real tech savvy here, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, just kind of, well, first off, thanks for having us yeah, for up sure. here. Um, to give you guys a little bit of my backstory, because I'm a little bit older than you guys, so you probably don't know it all. Um, my mom, she, she was pure until she was married. She 
taught me purity. She taught me everything I was supposed to do right. Preached it. My dad, he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant when he was in high school. So he taught me purity because he didn't want me getting pregnant. Um, and I thought, well, they don't really know, right? My mom, she, she didn't have sex before marriage. So did she really know it was wrong? It's kind of like, well, and I wasn't going to get pregnant, so dad, you know, whatever. Um, so it's kind of like I picture it as Eve in the garden. You know, Satan said to her, did God really say? Well, do they really know? It's not really our job to, to question to yeah. question God. That's good. And uh, so that's, that's my parents. I came up in a great, solid home. I went to the Christian school right down, uh, yeah. right down on 21. And then I transferred to the public school. <laughs> it was a little bit of a culture shock. <laughs> I, uh, I was an athlete. You probably can't tell now because I got four kids. But <laughs> I was a, a decent athlete. Um, and I walked into the locker room. I'll tell you guys that locker room talk is not just a guy thing. Yeah. It is 15 years ago. Well, this was probably 17 years ago now. Yeah, we, we old. <laughs> so like 15, 17 years ago, it was a thing. Women talked. Girls. Girls talked. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just guys. So I found myself hearing things, and I was like, I don't even know what they're talking about. What is this stuff that they're doing? They were all engaging in premarital sex activities, and I didn't know what half of them were, but I was surrounded by the talk constantly. When you're surrounded by it, you're surrounded by it in the locker room, you're surrounded by it at the lunch table, you're surrounded by it on social media, or in your classrooms, even. You know, it's, we didn't have social media back then, by the way. <laughs> Thank God. PTL, right? Senior year. Oh, PTL. Yeah. Is it Facebook? Yeah. Um, and you threw me off, sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Um, where was I at? You were talking about uh, the pressure of the locker room. Yeah, so there's, there's so much pressure that you're constantly being surrounded by, you know, that you feel like you have to walk away from everything that you know and that you have been founded on and rooted in. You know, I went to a Christian school. I went... I had great parents that, that taught me. My dad was a cop. I didn't get away with anything. Um, but I didn't listen to them. And uh, I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. And I was at a party. And there was drinking. And there were a lot of people there I shouldn't have been hanging out with. And I lost my virginity when I was 14 to my brother's best friend. And from there, I engaged in another sexual relationship. That one, the whole school found out about. This is a pretty small town in Emily City, you guys. So you do something, everybody finds out about it. And my youth leader, he ousted me in front of the entire youth group. And he told everybody, hey, this girl, this girl's having sex, stay away from her. And I felt so shameful and dirty. And it, it takes you on a roller coaster when, you, when you're just sitting in it. And I feel like Satan just loves to get at your heart and say that you are dirty and you are shameful because you, you sinned. But all sin is the same. In God's eyes, sin is sin. And he covers it all if you ask him to. Um, the pathway of shame uh, brought me into a two-year relationship. I was engaged. He was awful to me. I 
I, I was told that he preferred blondes, so I bleached my hair blonde. I got a lot of hair, so it took a long time to bleach it. Um, turned down college volleyball for him, and I wouldn't have done any of those things if I wasn't engaged in those type of behaviors. He said, you know, a lot of people date trash and they're involved. So um, what I didn't know then was that when you're looking for love without Jesus, you are just looking for lust. You're looking for that jellyfish. Wow. And you're going to keep searching for a jellyfish because you, you touch that one, it stings you, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go to the next one, that one's going to sting you too. Mm -hmm. And you just go on a pattern. You keep going and, and going and going. And... Uh, Short, so I was engaged for two years, then I broke up with him. Eight months later, I was engaged again for six years. Wow. And uh, same pattern, same relationship. Um, and then I, to about, um, we, we broke up, and then shortly after that, I, I dumped him too. So. Um, and you were sexually active with all these people this whole time? Yeah. You, you're giving a, a piece of yourself to these people that just don't really deserve it because they're not your husband or your wife. Yeah. That's the person that God designed that for. And uh, I broke up with him shortly after that. I ran into Brad, my husband. And uh, you guys knew each other back from high school. Yeah, we, we had feelings for each other in high school and, and there was just always kind of something right about us that we just never really could put, put our finger on. So we decided we were gonna give this a try and we were talking one night. And if, if I can, we actually, Throughout these 10 years, I'm not sure if she mentioned this to you before, it was like every two years we had a phone call. Hmm. We would have a phone call yeah. that went past midnight, but we were <laughs> not by each other. We had a yeah. phone call. It wasn't a dirty phone call. It was just like <laughs> just, a hey, catching up. How are you up. doing? How, is, you know, how, how are things going for so you? So you break up with this second guy that you were engaged to, and you, yep. were, in a, you were in a relationship for a while. Yep. At this point... I know we were talking to me uh, the other day, you were just broken yeah. and empty. And now, but now you're wanting to get with Brad and you're wanting to go with that. But kind of talk, speaking of that for a second. Yeah, so we, we started talking about, hey, we should go to church. And uh, that week, that day maybe even, um, you, one of your posts came up on his Facebook and so he reached out to you. Yeah, I'll never, okay, I'll never forget that. Brad Jackman wanted to talk to me about church and Jesus. I was, I was perplexed. I know this guy really well, okay? Like, we went to high school. I know everything about this guy. Like, I know what's written in this guy's yearbook, okay? We talked about it. Hey, we know for sure. PTL, Dave PTL, Chris. Dave, Dave Chris. Chris. Like, praise the Lord. I wrote that in one's yearbook. And uh, I remember, yeah, you told me that you'd seen that post and you came and wanted to talk and we were talking up in the loft. And we started talking about just church and Jesus and you'd gotten a relationship and how your life was going and, you know, all these different things. You said something that really stuck out to me, something I think, it'll, it'll probably stick with me forever. You said, I've been watching your life for the last 10 years and you are the person that you said you were always going to be. And he said, I, saw, I watch and I see it on Facebook and you're exactly who you said you were going to be in Jesus. And I'm doing still exactly what I said I was going to do at the age of 16. I said I was going to be a youth pastor, and I'm still doing it. And uh, I remember that just stuck with me so much. And I remember, I think I told my family, I told, 
I told my wife, I told the leaders, I was like, you guys will never believe this. Brad Jackman wants to come to church. Like, I just can't even believe this right now. Like, I was just like so excited, blown away. So you guys are talking about wanting to come back to church. You're talking about wanting, like, you're both like looking for love in all the wrong places concepts, you know, like feeling empty. What's the next step then? You guys come to church? Come here? Or? Yeah, we, we started coming to Gateway. I think it was that Sunday. Um, it was shortly before the Defiant series. We started coming to church. Then uh, I came to a, it was when we had Sunday night still, and uh, I actually stayed after and pa- talked to Pastor Steve for an hour and a half, two hours maybe, I don't know. We were sitting there talking with Janelle as well, and, and that day I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm done feeling broken. I'm done feeling shameful. I'm done feeling dirty. You know, Jesus loves me, and, and there's a covering and a blessing on my life, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to take it right now. Yeah. And so that day I was like, I'm all in, you know, breathe, breathe that first breath of life back into me. I'm, 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 the old is gone, the, the new is here, and we didn't really know exactly what to do from there. Yeah. Um, when you do that, you kind of have to figure it out from there, and, and we were still together, and we had gotten pregnant with our firstborn, Bradley, and, and we decided, hey, it's, it's not God's will for us to be out of wedlock We've been talking about marriage for months at this point. Let's just do it. So Pastor married us on Valentine's Day. That's awesome. And uh, so he'll never forget our anniversary. And if he does, <laughs> I mean. Uh, bro, you better not. <laughs> she planned a wedding in 12 days. Yeah. Wow. And we, sp- I mean, we spent $3,000 on it. It was like simple, basic. It was just perfect. It. And I mean, it was anointed. It was, it was blessed. And so that's. February, okay, that's in February. Yep. Um, two months later, you were telling me something happened. Yeah. Two months later, uh, we were at a Sunday morning service, and pastor had asked about salvation, and I remember Brad lifted his hand, and I was sitting right next to him. You know, you can kind of feel when the person next to you You're, is, like, intentionally getting close so I'm you can like, feel it going oh, I up. I can feel it. I can feel it. Yep. So then I raised my hand with him, and we both came down to the altar as a, as a married couple. Wow. And, and we from there on out, we are we're a marriage under God. We are completely covered. Everything in us is... Amen. And that was before our son was born, too. So one of the things I did tell Pastor was that, you know, our, our son was, was conceived out of wedlock. So I had this, this thought, this, you know, feeling that Satan had put in my head that he was going to be cursed, that he was going to have this life that was not going to be great because of something that I had done. And if you have met that little boy, he loves Jesus. Wow. Um, he, was, he was born at, um, at the end of July. And what I didn't know when I gave my heart to Jesus, again, because you know, when I was little, I was like the weird Christian school girl that loved Jesus and wore monkey shirts. But now I'm in this new phase. I'm an adult woman. I'm becoming a mother, and I'm trying to figure out how to put Jesus in my life again, and, and uh, I didn't know that I was going to walk through a really hard, hard struggle, and that I was going to have my best friend beside me through it. The day after my son was born, my dad passed away, and I mean, my dad was a great man. He was a hero. He was awesome, and uh, Pastor Steve was preaching that Sunday morning, and he was talking about rebuilding. Chip and, I think you wore a Chip and Joanna Gaines shirt that day, right? Yeah. It, and uh and this is what I wrote. I'll pick it back up. This is what I wrote in my journal that morning. I said, It is not our job to question God's timing. 
It's our job to trust in him with everything in us. We will find the courage and the strength to persevere in any situation, in any walk of life, in any day of doubt. It is not our job to question him. It's our job to acknowledge him. All of the hurt in this physical world is healed in our eternity with our Lord. In that, I can put my trust. And that was, that was hours after my dad passed away, you guys. And through that week, he totally restored me into this crazy Jesus freak again. Do you remember that book, Jesus Freaks? Yeah, it's good. I actually got best Bible student in, in Michigan Christian Youth Camp two years in a row. Okay? <laughs> I was like the weird Christian school girl that was in my foundation. This is your guys' foundation right here. Yeah, you just went off track with it. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, because I think it's really easy to kind of be like, okay, you knew what you were supposed to do. You chose not to do it. You lived this whole life, which you guys' story is, it's a crazy story. I mean, you guys have been all over the map. God has redeemed so many things, but it's almost like they can hear and they go, God is so good. He redeems so much. He does things perfect, but... But sin has consequences. What about the consequences of it? Like in your marriage, what's that like? Yeah, so, I mean, we've been married for five years. We're super blessed with four beautiful children, but we have disagreements that, that aren't ours. Wow. They, they are, you know, um, even last week, I was mad at him for something that wasn't him. It was one of my past relationships. It was the, it stirred something up in me that made, just brought it all to surface and made me feel that hurt well, he didn't give me. And that's because you're, you're giving that piece of your soul away to that person, and they have such a root on, on your soul. Yeah, that's really good. Is there any like last thoughts you just wanna tell them, anything that you feel like maybe God's taught you or just any encouragement you give them? I would say one of the things that I hope you guys can take from hearing part of our crazy craziness is that practicing any type of sex out of marriage or out of marriage is practicing for divorce. You know, let's go back to that locker room. All those girls where 15 years later, some of them are divorced, some of them have kids, multiple kids, multiple people. Some of them can't find a husband because they're giving themselves away to so many people that they can't figure it out. That's that's what sex before marriage leads to. And we are so blessed that we took hold of Jesus and that we took him in our hearts and he has covered us in our marriage. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. That's awesome. You guys appreciate their story? Come on, show them some love. We appreciate you guys, man. So proud of them. Believe me. God's redeemed. I know what God can do. Our God is good and he redeemed. I think what hit me with what they said, though, is so true. There's consequences. You know, when, when Amanda was talking to me this week, she was talking about how it was really hard to finally, in her marriage, become attached to what God had for her life because she was still attached to everything else. And it's almost like this thought process. We think that we can walk into something in our life and we can attach ourselves, whatever it is, to some sexual sin, right? It's either a pornography addiction or it, it, it's a person that you're dating that you're not supposed to be dating, whatever it is. 
And we think we can almost like attach ourselves, and then when we walk away from that relationship, we think we've detached from it for some reason. And there's still so many emotional scars, there's so much pain, there's so much guilt and dirt and stuff on our lives. So then what happens is we try to walk from one relationship, and then we don't actually detach from that one, then we walk into the next one, and without detaching from the last one, we'll walk into the next one, then we attach to that. And then we attach here, and we forget that we're still attached over here, and now we're trying to go forward into what God has for us. And that's what I was talking about right here with the door, right? I loved Jesus. I wanted to be attached to Jesus. I wanted a marriage that was attached to what Jesus had for me, but I didn't realize that I was still attached to so many other things. And people are wandering into relationship after relationship and then thought after thought and sexual encounter after sexual encounter and they're, they're experiencing all these different things and they think that when they walk away they're being detached, but really they're just walking into something else and attaching to something new. That's all it is. So they never actually detach from the last thing when they attach to the next thing because you just heard Amanda, she goes, I was engaged for, in a relationship for two years and then what'd she say, eight months later I'm in another relationship engaged for six years? This is what happens when you allow patterns of sexual morality to begin to take a hold of your life and begin to control what God has for you. Like you may not realize this, but you, you walk from one thing and, and you're like, you know what, like I just have this like little pornography thing that I'm struggling with, but I, I know I can kick it. I'll kick it before I'm married, I really will. And you don't realize that you're attached to this now and then you're attached to this image now and you're attached to this image now and you're trying to go forward into the purpose that God has for you, but you're attached to so many naked pictures, so many videos, so many thoughts, so many dirty things inside of your mind, inside of your heart that you can't get what God has for you in his best because you've never detached from everything else. And I think a lot of times we just think, we just think, well, uh, you know, like, it, it's, uh, when I get older, I'm just gonna be past this and I'm, I'm gonna be able to kind of like, like get over this. You won't, guys. You really won't. Like, I just feel like God wants to bring such, not just sexual freedom, a sexual conviction on our life to say like, our standards with Jesus are so high that we cannot do some of the things, we can't watch what we've been watching, we can't hang out with some of the people we've been hanging out with, we can't date some of the people we wanna date. Like our standards for Jesus are so high because we're so sick of walking around and attaching ourselves to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and we never actually detach from what, what we walked into in the first place. And so if you think, if you think that you can walk into your marriage like this and be successful, you got another thing coming to you. If you think that you can walk into your marriage with all these different attachments and think, oh, Jesus just loves me, he's gonna forgive me and I'm not gonna have any problems. If you wanna know their real story, go ask them all the problems. Go ask them all the issues because they walked into it with all these other attachments to all these other sexual partners, all these different relationships. I mean, I told them to censor out some of their story because there's so much to it, there's just no way we could get into it. And this is what they walked into, into all of this with. This is it right here. Until the day at a defiant night, until the day in April, sitting in the seat, that they both gave their heart to Jesus. Until that, they were attached to all these different things. And I just need you to understand this. You can be a church kid and still mess up. You can be a church, you can be a preacher's kid. You know how many preacher's kids I know that are divorced today? You know how many pastor's kids I know that their marriages suck? I'll tell you exactly what, what I'm thinking. They suck. Like they're, they're barely hanging by a thread. There's no blessing. 
There's no joy. There's no excitement like you're supposed to. Even statistically, people that sleep together before marriage, do you realize how much higher the divorce rate is for that? Like, I'm not even talking about that. Some of you are like, I'm not sleeping with anybody. But are you setting yourself up to do it? And let's just even say no. What are you setting your mind up to it? Because maybe you're not physically sleeping, sleeping with everybody, anybody, but you are in your mind. Every time you log on to this and that place, you are with your mind. Do you realize that those images, those thoughts, you will carry with you attached into your marriage? So while you're trying to now have a healthy sex life in your marriage and have a marriage the way God has intended for you to have it, do you realize you're attached to all this at the same time? I, I think a lot of times we don't see the attachments, we don't think that they exist, but you don't realize the mark that they leave on your life. You know, like three years ago, four, something like that, my family went to Mexico and I didn't realize this at the time, but as I was in the water, I came out of the water and I had this huge mark on my back. I thought it was like a sunburn because I didn't like put sunblock down there. You know how that is like that one spot you forget and it's just like beet red. It was beet red. It was like stinging, itching, like burning. I'm like, what's going on? So I go to the doctors and I go, hey, I got this really bad like sunburn. Can I get some like extra strength like burn cream or something like that. He goes, that's not a sunburn. I go, what is it? He goes, you got stung by a jellyfish. I go, what? He goes, yeah. They live among all of like the, what's all that nasty stuff that's in the ocean water? That seaweed, that's what it's called. Thank you. They live among the seaweed. And as you go in there, you don't even know they're there and they just, they'll sting you. It was the biggest bummer. The rest of my, not the rest, for like the next week, of my vacation. Now, it's not, you don't like go to Mexico nonstop all the time where you get to enjoy like this sun and resort and be with your family. For like the next week of my vacation, you know what I had to do? I had to stay out of the sun, which some of you would probably do anyways, but I didn't want to. I wanted to play beach volleyball with all the locals, party with the locals. Um, I had to stay out of the sun. I couldn't be in the water. I couldn't do all the activities that my family was doing. I'd wear like this bandage, like with a shirt over me the whole time. It was miserable. It felt like such a waste of my vacation. I'm like, because I got stung by a jellyfish, what's the point? You just, you just heard the story. Can God heal you when you fall into sexual sin and attach your life to the wrong things? Yes. Can he come into your life and can he begin to drop things off of your life? Yeah, he can. But... Rather than advancing into God's best for your life, you will have to spend all of your time, all of your energy getting healed, staying out of the sun, staying out of the water, not being able to be with your family for the next week, just getting healed because you got stung. And you're just like, well, I just, hearing their story, maybe if I just, if I, if I mess up, whatever, it's not that big of a deal because God can heal me. Yeah, can he heal you? Yes. Is there a chance that you might push it too far that you might not be able to be healed because you have broke yourself so much and gone so far off track, you won't even turn to God anymore because you won't think to. But the issue here is not whether he can. The issue is the healing process from the emotional damage, from the mental damage, from everything that you cause yourself is more than I promise you will want to bear. Because what happens is when you allow yourself to be bound to somebody, right? Let's just go right here, one left. When you allow yourself to be bound to anyone, much less all the different images and things and you're letting yourself be bound to. When you allow yourself to be bound to someone or an image or whatever it is that's not your spouse, you create so much emotional scarring, trust issues, 
insecurity, bitterness, you might miss your calling because of it. You might miss the purpose that God has for you because of it. You are gonna waste all of your time trying to get healed if you would simply just say, you know what? I am sick of being attached to this stuff and I got, I am sick of, I'm sick of breaking down doors trying to get your best when I could just be patient enough to wait and say, God, I know that you got the key to contentment for my life. I know you got a purpose for me. I know that you're in charge of my life. So I'm just gonna, rather than breaking down this door, I'm gonna wait until you bless me with what your best is. You know what my message to you tonight is? My message to you tonight, some of you it's a warning, some of you it's a wake up call, but to everybody here I tell you, you need to heed my words. You need to take them so seriously because I was a 16-year-old kid sitting in one of these seats. My youth pastor talked me about this and I made all the mistakes. All the mistakes that I could have possibly made, I felt like I made them. And so for some of you, this is your opportunity tonight. This is your opportunity tonight to say, I want some freedom from some, from some, some things. I'm done with some of this stuff. I love King David. He poses the question because King David knows what it's like to screw up. So he poses the question in Psalm 119, verses nine to 11. He says, how can a young person stay in the path of purity? Are you asking yourself that tonight? How can I stay on the path of purity and not go off it? David says, by living according to your word. He's saying, according to the word of God, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I know there's a mixed array of people here tonight. I know some of you, you got like a broken, distorted, sexually exposed past. Some of you, you're like, man, I ain't dealt with any of the things that you're talking about with. First of all, the people that have it, good. Hopefully, I could give you some steps to keep it that way. For those of you that had, realize that just because maybe some of you, you lost your virginity doesn't mean that God can't restore your purity. And I just feel like some of you need to hear tonight that you're addicted to pornography. You're some of you, I feel like I just said, said this, you're addicted to attention, and that is going to get you in trouble. Girls, you flaunt what you do, and you put yourself out there. Maybe even sometimes you laugh really loud or whatever. I don't know what you do, but you're addicted to attention. That is going to get you in trouble. And if you just do this for a second, bow your heads and close your eyes with me because I want to lead into a time at the altar where the Holy Spirit can speak. But I just want to say this. God wants to do a beautiful work in the hearts and the lives of people here tonight. God is wanting to set free some of you and teach others how to stay free. But this is going to have to take a humble heart here tonight. Do you realize how much humility it took for Brad and Amanda to come up here to put their, themselves out here. Like, it may, if you thought that was easy for them to just talk about all their mistakes and all of their sin and everything they've done wrong, then you got another thing coming to you. Why did they share all that? Because they don't want you to have to live the same story. So ask the Holy Spirit right now, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Some of you are like, man, I'm, I'm brand new. This is my first night. That's okay. The Holy Spirit's been talking to you your whole life. Maybe this is just the first time you'll listen. Ask the Holy Spirit to talk to you right now, to speak to you, to give you direction and tell you what step you need to take here in Amona. But what I want to say here is this. It has to start with what Brad and Amanda did. Before we can go all of these things, I got to give some people here an opportunity 
just like Brad did there when he raised his hand or Amanda did at, at this Defiant movie night that the film we had released from our church, she's watching it and she realized after talking to Pastor Steve, I need to go all with Jesus. If tonight, you know you might have been given a part of yourself but not all of yourself to God. Or maybe you, you're just brand new to church and this whole thing and you've never given anything to God. Tonight, he wants all of you. Because guess what? When I uh, lived in that apartment, you realize if anything went wrong with that apartment, I didn't pay for it, right? They fixed it. They took care of it. See, when God owns your house, when he owns you, he's gonna take care of you. He's gonna look after you. He's gonna make sure if you need repair or need some fixing, he's gonna come and do a work in you. So some of you tonight, you just maybe need to be able to confess freely that you belong to God because you've been kind of holding yourself back a little bit. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're thinking, but I know God does. And I just want to speak this into you right now, that if you would turn over to God your sexuality, your purity, all that you are in this area, I promise if you turn over this area, he can have all of you in every other area. This sin, this lifestyle of honoring God in purity, it is so monumental, I can't stress it enough. If you will surrender this, I promise he can have all of you. Some of you are like, I'm trying to give God all of me. Surrender this, and he will have all of you and do great things in you. If you're here tonight, and you're under the sound of my voice, knowing that, man, everything he's been saying, that's me. I need a relationship with Jesus, just like Brad and Amanda. I'm off track. I haven't been doing things God's way. And I gotta give my whole heart, my whole life, my past, everything. I gotta give it, my future, all to him. If that's you, I want you to just put your hand up right now. Eyes, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I see you, I see you, I see you. This is between you and God. Lay down your pride for a second. Lay down you doing it your way for a second. Hands up all over, thank you. Thank you over there, I see you. Thank you so much, thank you. Thank you, I see you. And just with confidence, just lift it and say, I, just, I need Jesus, I, I need him to forgive me of this. This life I've been living, forgive me my sins. I'm sick of trying to rip the door open. I just want to wait on him and believe he can open it. I see you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Would you do this? Would you just stand to your feet with me here tonight? I really felt from the beginning when we were worshiping tonight that God just had his hand on this night in a powerful way. And I want to pray with you a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer of just acknowledging who Jesus is, giving our life, all that we are to him. But then I wanna open the altars and our leaders are gonna come and we just wanna spend a time praying and we're gonna have the guys on one side and the girls on the other side. For this reason, if you want freedom, it's gonna start tonight in you being honest with where you're at. If you got an addiction, call it what it is. Call it an addiction. Let's get some freedom from an addiction. If you know that you're in a relationship, that you got a lack of accountability, come up and say, I want to get accountability. Give me some steps of how to do it. And they're going to start praying over you, and we're going to start getting direction. On Sunday, when we go into trifectas, we're going to follow up on some of this stuff, and we're going to see this stuff expand to see what God has got. Listen, some of you listening, you've never been on Sunday before to trifectas. You are missing out on what God's doing. This is the beginning of what he's doing. Sunday is when we continue to take it deeper. Some of you, all that you need is to get some good friends around you, some good community, some people that will just love you and hold you up. That's all you need to be successful and you would be successful. So I wanna invite you to that. But the greatest thing that I wanna invite you to do right now is pray a prayer with me to give your life to Jesus. You ready to do it?
Come on, for the people in the room, many lifted your hands and you're saying, tonight I want Jesus. Bow your heads, close your eyes, just say this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my life. I want you to have all of me. I'm giving you my past, present, and future. I'm giving you my sexual mistakes. I'm giving you my fantasies, my wrong thoughts. I'm giving you my desires. And I'm asking you tonight, Jesus, would you come into my life by what you did on the cross? And would you cover me in the blood that you shed for my life? I believe in the blood. I believe in the power of the cross. And I believe tonight, come on, we're gonna say this part. Say, I believe tonight that I have been set free, that I am pure, that I am whole, and I am full in who Jesus is. So I give you the glory, I give you the honor, and I give you the praise. Every part of me is yours. Say, Jesus, I love you. I give you all that I am. And in Jesus' name, come on, everybody says tonight, amen. And would you just thank him for what he's doing in your life. Amen.